Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Pastor Darian Rains. Hey, hey. Well, congratulations. We made it to James chapter 2 this week. And so we are excited. It's only been six weeks. We've only been in the series for six weeks, and we just now made it to the second chapter of James. And so if you got a mobile device, go ahead and uh, get your mobile device started. Find your Bible app. Uh, If you brought a Bible, turn to James chapter 2. If not, we're going to have the scriptures up on screen. And it is Super Bowl Sunday, so welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. I'm glad you guys valued, you know, worship on Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, Chiefs fans, anybody Chiefs fans? 49ers, anybody 49ers? I will say it has been 50 years since the Chiefs have been to the bowl. So... So they are um, slightly favored. Anyway, so it's going to be a good, it's going to be a good game. I hope you guys have a party or someplace you're going to go to and uh, and watch the game. Of course, for the rest of you who don't really care, you're just in it for the commercials anyway. So, <laughs> for those of you who uh, who've come to Compass, which is happening right now, like the girl said. Um, you know that James chapter 2 is a large part of why Your Place Church started in Mays County. I mean, James chapter 2 is the scripture we were reading. See, the people who, who coach us church planters, for, for, for those of you who may be new, Your Place Church is a church plant, or was 10 years ago, a church plant. In other words, We weren't a church that just found a new pastor. Like, we parachuted into Mays County and launched Your Place Church. And so we're 10 years um, last year, uh, and so it's been been a fun ride. But those who, who coach church planters told us that this style of church and, uh, By style, I mean, obviously, our music's a little bit louder. It's a little bit darker in the auditorium. Our message style's a little bit different. We believe in life groups. There's a lot of style, culture to what we do as a church. But they told us that this style of church only works in larger communities. And so we were like, okay, well, we we also knew enough about the Word of God, like we learned on week two. There is a perfect will of God for your life, and then there's a permissible will. Well, we started touring and praying about all these larger communities in, you know, the, the Oklahoma, Texas, Kansas, Missouri, Arkansas area, because we just knew we were supposed to kind of come back home. We knew that, that we were, we're from Northeast Oklahoma. We knew that the Lord wanted us to come home, but, but every community we were touring was a larger community. There was retail, there's growth, there's building, there's a Starbucks on every corner, right? And so that's what... That's what we were looking for. It was kind of something we were drawn to, if you will. But every single community we went in didn't feel right. I mean, and I I say it this way when I used to do compass. It's like somebody pushed you in the swimming pool fully dressed. You know what I mean? Every community just kind of just didn't feel right. It doesn't feel like us. There was no freedom there. And, of course, we know now that that's one of the primary ways that God will lead you is he'll lead you by that inward witness, that peace. We just didn't have peace about those larger communities. And so we did not know where we were going to launch this church. And so we were praying. And uh, the Lord spoke to Tyra, and he told her specifically to read the book of James, which is what we've been doing for the last 
six weeks, and we're learning about trials, and we're learning about patience, and the will of God, and sin, and faith, and it's all here, and nowhere does it say where to plant a church, right? You go through the book of James, and it doesn't give you point by point, step A through whatever, this is where you should plant a church. And so she gets done with the book of James, and she's like, now what, God? I, I, don't, I don't have any further direction. And he says to her, read it again. So she reads the entire book of James again. And she says, now what, God? And he tells her in his very fatherly, affectionate tone, read it again. And so she reads it again. This happens five times, friends. She reads the entire book of James five times. And on the fifth time... She, she comes and gets me. She grabs a different translation, which was the, the Peterson or the message translation, which basically takes the Bible and uses today's words to communicate it. And she reads this, well, we read it together, the fifth time. And we came across James chapter 2. And it says, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? And again, as we were reading this, like the light bulb went off on the inside of us. We, we, we said, God, we're not judgmental. We don't show favoritism. We're not this type of people. And then it dawned on us, we were doing this with entire cities. We wanted the Starbucks on every corner. We wanted the retail. We wanted the growth. We wanted the building, right? Right? Consequently, we don't even like the taste of Starbucks anymore. <laughs> and to set the record straight, this style of church does work in smaller communities. Can I have an amen? Amen. Three services on the weekend, and God is doing miraculous things. So it wasn't until we came across that scripture that the Lord spoke to us. And the reason why is our filter needed to be changed. Every community, our filter was too small. It was your, uh, Mays County wasn't fitting through the filter that we had decided needed to fit our criteria. It was ours. And this, you know, side note from James for just a second here, if you're not getting direction in a certain area of your life, you need to ask yourself if you need to change the filter in some areas. Because if you're not hearing God the thing you have to ask is, are you giving God if-then statements or this is A, this is B, when he's got another option altogether? That's how you know it. And so when you're hearing the voice of God, when you're praying for direction, be willing to hear yes and be willing to hear no. Are you with me, friends? First service did not get this, so this is for someone in this room. Be willing to hear yes and be willing to hear no and be willing to hear and consider a completely different option. A lot of people are like, I just can't hear God. Well, it's just because you're giving God one option. God, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I do this? And when you hear no, it's God, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I? It's like that little kid that just keeps tugging on your shirt tail. You know what I mean? Please, 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 please. 
when really he's got a bigger plan for you if you'll actually be open to hear it. Are you with me, friends? So, I was reading through James chapter 2 this, during this series, and it wasn't until I was studying for this service today that I saw an even deeper truth of what God is saying in this chapter. So today, my friends, James chapter 2. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And Father, we approach your word reverently. Father, we look for direction from your word. Father, this is not just man's opinion. Father, we want your word to be the commanding direction today. We allow the Holy Spirit to enlarge our capacity to think, to dream, to consider. And Father, I pray that today all of us will change the filter in our life and allow your word to minister directly to us. Father, I thank you for the anointing today. Give me utterance to say what you want said in this room to this group of people. Father, it's the same scriptures, but this group of people is different than last service. So, Father, we want to minister to this group of people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. Don't let culture, don't let what everyone else is doing, don't let the trends change how you are living out this glorious Christ-originated faith. Now, there is a lot of talk about culture and the church today. There's a lot of talk that's you know, is the Bible actually still applicable to our world in our changing times, in our changing worlds? You know, the Bible, a lot of people suggest that the Bible is an outdated book that doesn't even relate to us anymore, and nothing could be further from the truth, friends. This Bible is just as relevant to your life today in 2020 as it was when it was written all those years ago. It is just as powerful, just as living, and just as applicable. I believe this series has proved that. I can't tell you how many people come up to me after our series on James, and it doesn't matter what our topic is, and after service, they walk up and they're like, Pastor, it's like you were speaking right to me today. And I wasn't because the lights are so bright, I can't even really hardly make out your faces, all right? But I know you're in the room, and I'm just allowing the presence of God to speak through me. So if you feel like I'm singling you out, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. Are you with me, friends? It's like you were reading my mouth. That's the Holy Spirit. And that's because the Word of God is still applicable in our lives. Now, there are some topics that some pastors shy away from, things like sexuality and identity and, and et cetera. And then there's lighter topics that, for whatever reason, they're drawing hard lines on, like dancing, like tattoos, like long hair, 
rap music. You know what I mean? Or, or the sorts, okay? And, you know, I, I, I think this is funny. There are some, there's a lot of denominations that preach against premarital sex because they're afraid it leads to dancing. <laughs> Don't have premarital sex. You'll end up on the dance floor, right? So, but there are cultural topics that we, we do believe actually go against the Bible. But on the basis of love, we, as a body of believers, as a church that's like a family, are more interested in ministering to the person than drawing these hard, fast lines in the sands. We want to be influential to the most people than we can, as we can. So we do draw the same lines as the Bible, but we're more interested in ministering to people than, than basically saying, you can't worship here because you're that way. We, we just want to lead, we want to minister to people and lead them to the cross. You cannot change anybody unless you can get them to the cross of Jesus Christ. So we are more interested in ministering and maintaining influence with people than just saying, because you're that way or you do that thing, you can't worship here. Are you with me, friends? We let the Holy Spirit do the convicting. We just read the Word of God. We just read the Word of God and we just love them to the cross. Unfortunately, not everyone sees or agrees with our stance of how we minister to people. We say this a lot. This is the least judgmental place you'll, you'll, you'll experience. This is the least. Now, there are still people here who may be judgmental, but we're loving them to the cross. Are you with me, friends? We're loving everyone to the cross. But we want to be one of the least judgmental worship environments that you will ever experience. Why? Because it's not until you feel loved and feel accepted that you ever allow what we say to even begin to change your mind in some areas of our life. But they want us to deal with things. They want us to deal with people. You better deal with those people. Or what? You're not going to like us? You're not going to invite us to your gathering? We're good. Are you with me, friends? We're all about influencing people. And make no mistake about it, friends. At the end of the day, we all will have to give an account to Almighty God for everything we did or did not do. We all will give an account. And so we've chosen, to, as a church, to influence the most people we can and stay on the right side of truth. I'm not looking to pick a fight. I'm not looking to argue some of these things. I'm, not, I'm looking to influence people. And for whatever reason, there are two things, two topics that get under the skin of most people, and that is the topic of religion and the topic of politics. Now, I personally have found it hard to stay away from the topic of religion, <laughs> especially in church, but I have not found it hard to stay away from the topic of politics. In fact, I find it very easy to stay away from politics, which is why you won't see me or any of our staff members uh, post anything on our social media 
We won't, whether good or bad, statements about politics, a particular party, a candidate, whether good or bad, you won't see us post those things. Why? We want to maintain influence with everyone. Now, that's not to say we don't have personal opinions about parties, about candidates, or about politics, because we all do. And here's something that may become as a bit of a newsflash. We don't all agree on the same policies and politics, but we are very diverse, and for the sake of our influence, we choose not to voice them publicly. We want to maintain influence. Well, how many of you know that if I were to take a stance on a particular candidate, whether in office or running for office, if that candidate, whether in office or not, is someone you prefer in office or has differing opinions from someone that you think should be in office, then nothing I say from that point on really matters to you because I've taken a stance. Are you with me? I could be reading from the holy written word of God. And I could be teaching from the original translation and get the purest meaning. But if I take a stance politically, people check me off as going to hell. I mean, that's basically what it is. That preacher doesn't know what he's talking about. He voted for someone's up. You know what I mean? Or is, is going to vote or whatever. You know what I mean? So we just don't do it. We, uh, you have, a lot of people have already predetermined what I have to say if I make a stance like that. While I'm on the topic of politics, because we're a growing church, we're not just reading a, uh, reaching a city, we're reaching a community, we're reaching a county. There are people who drive over an hour on the weekend just to worship at your place church because a church alive is worth the drive. Amen, everyone? Right on, right on. And so because of that, we have people who worship here that are on complete opposite ends of the spectrum. And one of the things that I love about our church is our diversity. I love our diversity. So, I have to make a statement. We are set up in the coming months to be divided as a church. So, Here's the question I have before the political climate in our, in our nation fires up. As we approach this, this season, can we, as a church, like family, continue to disagree politically and still love unconditionally? Amen. I'll say that again. As this political environment gets fired up, can we, as a church that's like a family, continue to disagree politically and still love unconditionally? We need to pre-decide right now. We need to pre-decide right now. Because Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. In other words, just as important, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't qualify it by saying love them based upon who they vote for, based upon if they worship at the same place. He just says love your neighbor as yourself. 
And then he says this, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There is just no way we're all going to agree on everything politically, but we can all still love unconditionally. Amen, everyone? That's what the Bible says. And I'm actually going to spend some more time on this as we approach the election season. But the question I have for us this weekend that I want us all to answer and pre-decide, can we, as a church-like family, disagree politically and still love unconditionally? Because at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, the truth will rise. The truth will rise. And at the end of the day, we have, all, we have to ask ourselves the question, will we have accomplished our God-given mission and vision on the earth as a church, as a community of believers, or will we become so divided that people actually go to hell as a result of our differences and division? This is what we need to determine right now because it's true. If we become so divided and we become so cross, then we lose our effectiveness as men and women of God. Are you with me, friends? So, my dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you, James says, live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted. He's, he's talking about social classes even right here in this moment, right? When it's all said and done, the truth will rise to the forefront. And make no mistake about it, right and wrong will both become painfully obvious. So the question that I have as we progress through James here is, which side of the Word of God do you want to be on? Which side of the holy, written, unfallible Word of God do we want to be on? It's a matter of the heart. Now, when it comes to division, when it comes to segregation, preconceived opinions, where do you stand? Because James is calling us all on the carpet this weekend. James chapter 2. Thank you, James. Coming at us again, right? And so here's what I recognize. I was, I, we see this. And we see it in different areas. We see it in different climates, different situations. I know when Tyra and I started the church, well, we came to town almost 11, almost 12 years ago now. And when we parachuted into prior, that's what I like to call it, just me and her parachuted into this community, um, we didn't actually parachute, okay? It's just a phrase. It's what it felt like. We just landed in the middle of a, a bunch of people who didn't know us. Um, I was told by some locals that I, me and my family, because we're not from Mays County, 
would be treated as outsiders. We would not get the same treatment or preferential treatment because we're not from prior America. And that we would notice it, especially because they knew we were going to build a church, especially when we got like city or municipalities involved. Because we weren't from here, we would notice it. Maybe we wouldn't get the same amount of service or timeliness. And let me just tell you this. We didn't experience any of that. We didn't experience any of that. And I think primarily the reason was is because when we parachuted into this community, the very first thing we did is we started serving our guts out to this community and still do. We would, get, we would volunteer. We would be a part of then great days of service. We volunteered at the chamber. We, vo- we found ways to give back to the community, and I think we won the community's heart. So we personally never felt that. But someone has because they wouldn't have told us that had it not been true for someone. Are you with me, friends? Now I think the diversity of, of, of Mace County is increasing primarily because of the industrial... The industrial park, and I think there's a lot of people moving to our community, and so it's, it's getting harder and harder to recognize a local person. But do you see what James is saying here? If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit, he's talking about social class here. And a street person wearing rags comes in right after him. Don't say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir. Sir, sit here. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Like James is saying, don't do that. Don't do that. And then he says this, haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? That's called grouping. Sociologists have, have, have given our division as the human race the term grouping. I talked about this a few months ago, and I think it was one of our At The Movie series we did a couple of years ago. But there are in groups, and then there are out groups. And grouping is the way we sort people into groups of either people who are like me or people who are not like me. Race, color, social class, political views, coffee drinkers, tea drinkers, okay? It's grouping. Chiefs, 49ers, right? It's just grouping. That's what it is. Christians is a group. We're a group. If, we're, if you meet another Christian, it's your in-group. Churchgoers, your place, church, church growers, men, women, teenagers, Football players, young people, we're all in groups, if you will. And when you're a part of your group, you're intimately knowledgeable and involved about your group. It's just what happens, right? I am a senior pastor of a large growing church in a smaller community. I know senior pastor issues of churches in smaller communities. So whatever group you're in... You understand the intimate details of your group. And whatever group you're not in, that's called your out-group. And there's a difference between your in-group and your out-group because you don't know. And that's how come we make ignorant statements about those groups. 
We say those people. Are you with me? Ignorant statements about them because we just don't know those people. And because we don't know those people, so we make these statements that we should not make about them because we don't actually know them. This thing is called in-group bias is what sociologists call this, in-group bias. And it's our tendency to give preferential treatment to people who are considered like me. We give, we give preferential treatment to people who are like me, who are in my group. It could be a profession. It could be a race. It could be a religion. It could be people who look like me. I'm more kind to those who are like me. I'm more patient with those who are like me. I'm, I give the benefit of the doubt quicker to those who are like me. I express more grace when mistakes are made to people who are like me. It's easier to communicate to those who are like me. I get along easier with those who are like me. I'm more willing to go out of my way to help those who are like me. And I possess more positive assumptions about people who are like me. I mean, we live in Oklahoma. We get this. If I yell out, Boomer, Boomer. come in, sit in my favorite chair, date my daughter, right? That's just, that's who we are. That's who we are. Now, cowboys, you know what? They're, they're just, they're a group of their own, but you understand it. That's a group. And we'll give more peripheral or yeah, treatment to people who are in our in group. Now, there's such a thing called out group discrimination. Now, listen to this: it's withholding in group bias against people because they're not a part of your group. I'm less comfortable around those not like me. I'm less inclined to spend time or listen to those not like me. And this is where James is calling us on the carpet. He's like, don't do that. You call yourself Christians, don't do that. And when I was teaching on this several months ago, I asked the question, what if there was a third option? What if we were just all God's children? What if we were just all God's children? See, if a man enters your church, your place of business, your community organization, your neighborhood, your street, your family, wearing an expensive suit, and a street person at the same time comes in wearing rags right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, come on, James, what are you trying to say here? Sit here, sir. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children? Segregation was not a was not something that God came up with. Now, you'll see segregation in the Old Testament when God was trying to tell his church, listen, you need to come out from among the sinners. 
The Egyptians were caught in slavery. He, he rescued them for a season, got them healthy, and then he brought them right back in. Segregation as we see it in the world today is not God's idea. It's not God's plan. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you were judges who can't be trusted? When we divide, when we segregate, when we give in-group bias, we lose influence. We lose influence and we become judges or people who the world looks on and says, if they can't get it right with each other, they can't be trusted. Which is why Christians as a whole have the reputation that we have. James is calling us on the carpet here. So here's four things, actually three things, that I would like us to do this weekend. Three things that I would like us to do this weekend. Don't let culture or public opinion change the Word of God in your life. That's what James is telling us to do. You know, as we get closer and closer to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the Word tells us that the world itself is going to get worse and worse. It doesn't have to affect us. We don't have to change our beliefs just because culture is changing. The second thing that I would like us all to consider this week is this. Rename everybody you see as your brother, as your sister. Why? Why would I do that? Because Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. You know what? You may disagree with your brother or your sister, but at the end of the day, you love them. When it comes time and they're in a pickle, you, you get them out because we're family. It's what we do. He said in, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar, the word says. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. The Bible's very clear on these things. And if we can't do that, then everything else is, is nullified, the Bible says. So rename everyone your brother and your sister. You know what that does? That makes no one below you. No one's beneath me. No one's beneath you. That's what James is saying. Don't come in here and say, well, because of the way someone's dressed, they're beneath you. Or they, they get preferential treatment because of the color of their skin or their political party or what church they go to. Are you with me, friends? This is what the Bible is saying. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him and you say to the man in the suit, sit here. 
And neither ignore the street person or say, better sit in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you're judges who can't be trusted? The last thing is give in-group love to your out-group. At the end of the day, when Jesus comes back, will we as a body of believers have got as many people as we can? Have we loved them to the cross? Or have we died on the hill of our in-group biases? Because if you're drawing that line, James says, watch out. Amen, everyone? Father, we love you. And God, I realize that there are some areas in our life that we can joke about when it comes to football games or whatever, Father God. It's just friendly competition. Father, there's a line that it crosses. And this is what James is encouraging us, Father, is not to cross that line. Father, to love everyone. So, Father, we choose today, as men and women of God, to love and to rename every single person as our brother and our sister, to not be the people who the Scripture says judges who can't be trusted. Father, we want to influence as many people as we possibly can. We love you. We worship you. You know what? With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're in the room and you've never accepted Jesus Christ in your heart. Or maybe you once had a relationship with Jesus, but for whatever reason you walked away from him. And today you would like to rededicate your life to him. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Well, saved from what? Well, saved from hell for starters, but saved to an incredible life. So if that's you, not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you stand up. We're not going to have you come forward or leave the room. We believe that this can happen between you and your heavenly father right there in your seat. If that's you, I would like to know who I'm praying for. So just put your hand up and put it right back down if you say, I need Jesus. Anybody like that? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Anybody else? I can pray for you before we leave. We're just going to pray. Thank you. Anybody else you need to rededicate your life to him tonight? Anybody? Or today? Anybody else? We don't want to miss this moment. People came to church today looking for Jesus, and we want to give them that opportunity. Anybody else? Praise the Lord. Well, then, because the Bible says believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, we're all going to pray a prayer together. So say this with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he died and rose again for me. Right now, Jesus, I invite you to come into my life. Forgive me of my past and to make me a brand new person. Because I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.